Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. This show is sponsored by our members who made donations. We'd like to give them a very big thank you. We have to cover the monthly costs of the radio station's software, bandwidth, phone lines and phone calls to be able to continue with the radio show. And thank you for listening. I'd like to introduce our guest today, Dr Phil Boyle from Ireland. Thank you for joining us, Phil. Thanks for having me, Linda. Now, you're one of our medical advisors and I really appreciate it, especially where using LDN, you know, people are worried if they're pregnant or they've been taking LDN for thyroid conditions and they know that every time they stop, they, they get worse. So referring them to you or you answering their questions puts their mind at ease that, you know, LDN is safe in your opinion throughout pregnancy. So... Tell us, what have you been doing since our last interview? Well, um, I, for me, the, with the low-dose naltrexone, I've been doing what I would regard as standard uh, fertility treatment, which for my practice population, I would say at least 50% or more of the couples that I see, I would use low-dose naltrexone. Um, and it's it's a backbone of our treatment and I tend to, to recommend it uh, preemptively uh, from our very first visit. So when I take a history from a couple, uh, it's very common that we'll identify she has significant period pain, uh, fatigue, low mood, anxiety, a family history of something autoimmune, uh, or premenstrual symptoms, bloating, breast tenderness, mood changes, and feeling really unwell in the week before the period begins. So before we even commence our evaluation, just purely from our history, if she's ticking a lot of those boxes and is clinically endorphin deficient, then we set about boosting her endorphins with low-dose naltrexone. And when that happens um, and we boost her endorphins, very, very commonly, at least eight times out of 10, uh, we get relief of those unpleasant symptoms. And it lays a foundation where we reduce inflammation uh, we, we improve her well-being and we prepare her then so that when we engage in a process of hormone balancing a few cycles later, she usually responds much more favorably. Uh, and the other advantage is it, it, by reducing inflammation, it'll reduce her risk of, of miscarriage. Um, and probably from, from what you're talking about, uh, for, for giving it during pregnancy, I may not have made that very clear at the last interview, but it's, it's an issue that comes up a lot. And the, the, the reason I got into giving low-dose naltrexone during pregnancy stems from uh, observing adverse outcomes uh, when I stopped naltrexone when we achieved a positive test. So my, the, the, the population of couples that I deal with are at risk. They have infertility, uh, repeated miscarriage, failed IVF, uh, premature delivery, and all these things. So... If somebody felt really unwell and then felt fantastic when I put them on the low-dose naltrexone, 
and subsequently we achieved a pregnancy with those, if we stopped the naltrexone during pregnancy, we experienced many more miscarriages and other adverse pregnancy outcomes after stopping the naltrexone. And having got a few of these in a row that did really badly, we reached the point where we said, really, should we be stopping naltrexone during pregnancy? Because uh, we seem to be losing a lot more when we do that. So it was for that reason uh, that we, we looked at the possibility of continuing naltrexone during pregnancy. Now, the, rightly, there's a lot of caution about giving anything during pregnancy because you can't tell if something is safe until, God knows, 20 plus years later. So it's one thing uh, that you get a successful live birth, but uh, you also don't want to do something that may be harmful for the long-term health of the baby uh, or the, the, as, as the baby grows and develops. Um, and I suppose historically there is this medication diethylstilbestrol that a lot of people know. Uh, it's also called DES. It was a synthetic form of estrogen that was given during pregnancy. And uh, it wasn't until uh, years later that they found that the uterus didn't develop normally in a lot of these women whose mothers took synthetic estrogen during their pregnancy. And then when the women were in their 20s, they were getting other problems um, uh, that, uh, later on. So this is where, in terms of giving absolute definitive safety, um, uh, until you get more data and bigger numbers, uh, it's, it's very hard to be definitive. But it reached this point where we were thinking, but if we don't do this, there may be no baby at all um, uh, because we were losing a lot of them. Um, so we made the decision, having looked at the available information, and as far as we could tell, uh, it, there was a doctor, um, uh, my, my mentor in the States, a Dr. Thomas Hilders, who developed uh, the, the, the first restorative approach to fertility treatment. And he was giving doses of 50 and 100 milligrams of naltrexone during pregnancy because he was more into high dose naltrexone. So when I suggested to him, I was thinking of using three or 4.5 milligrams, he just laughed. He says, that is such a low <laughs> dose. There's no way you're going to do any harm with that. Um, uh, so I got great reassurance because he had delivered lots of babies whose mothers had taken these higher doses. So that was one of our starting points. But then um, I observed that it, it, it made an awful lot of sense. But then I observed our, our couples delivering and they were coming for baby number two and they were sitting there with their first baby uh, having taken naltrexone right up to 37 weeks of pregnancy and they say this little baby is really good they're hardly ever sick and um, they uh, they're a good sleeper they're a good eater and they really reach the developmental milestones very well and not only did i think naltrexone was neutral and not doing any harm or preventing miscarriage that the babies seemed to be positively more healthy than those who didn't have the naltrexone and when i did a brief analysis annoyingly it didn't achieve statistical significance because their numbers were too small but it looked like there was much a much higher uh, requirement of antibiotic use uh, for children who didn't, whose mothers didn't have the naltrexone, and we used fewer antibiotics uh, because there were fewer chest and respiratory infections um, in in the children whose moms took the naltrexone. And for me, that would be because it's good for your health, it's good for your immune system, and that's why they'd be less inclined to get that. But I think it's more than just that, and it's it's difficult to develop uh, to measure. The, the, the milestones and the, these other things. But it, looking at the health of these babies, 
um, it really encouraged me um, that this is a good idea. And then uh, finally, I, I, I get boldly creative. And if, if I may dream, uh, my hope is that there's a thing called epigenetics uh, that where you get a thing called methylation of our genes. And, and this happens in utero before a baby is born. And it often happens when mom is anxious and stressed and distressed and there's a lot of inflammation. And all these things are reduced uh, by giving the mother low-dose naltrexone. And our hypothesis is that we can reduce abnormal methylation uh, of the genes. And that's the things around the genes, the epigenetics, so these things around the genes, there's less methylation. And our hope is that although your your genome is the same, the abnormal expression of it is, is tempered. And what that means is that women who are um, genetically at, at greater risk of developing endometriosis, that it may be expressed less if you reduce the methylation of the genes by giving the mother naltrexone throughout the pregnancy that we think we can positively influence the next generation. So my hope is that we would be able to see in time uh, those women with endometriosis where it runs in their family tree that we may be able to reduce the, the severity of that for the next generation by uh, having mom on the naltrexone and when their daughters grow up and get to childbearing age that we may see that their endometriosis is less severe. So that's that's one of the hoped for, for things. Wow, that's amazing. So how many years have you been using LDN infertility? I must be coming uh, close up to 20 years at this stage. So I'm about 23 years in practice. So I think maybe 19 years. And um, it started by accident by my sister. Uh, her husband developed multiple cirrhosis and they happened to be living in New Jersey. And they discovered Dr. Bernard Bahari, who was recommending low-dose naltrexone as, as a treatment for multiple cirrhosis. Um, so when they were about to start that treatment, she asked my opinion, being her brother and being a physician. I was familiar with giving high-dose naltrexone with regard to fertility treatment, but the low-dose was a new idea and a different mechanism. But that's what uh, started my, my curiosity. And starting out, um, I, I only gave it to somebody with autoimmune conditions, with uh, somebody with rheumatoid arthritis who happened to be trying to get pregnant and she noticed her rheumatoid arthritis was much, much better. And the beauty of it was she was told she needed a thing called methotrexate because uh, she wasn't responding to non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. And I said, oh, actually, um, uh, there is another immune modifying treatment that um, you could take while trying to get pregnant. And that was my first experience of low-dose naltrexone. But we stopped it uh, once she was pregnant and thankfully everything went fine. Uh, but I think she would have done even better if we continued it during her pregnancy. But, so that was about 19 years ago, and it was one patient at a time, and there's a gradual evolution over time where uh, eventually I noticed that these autoimmune um, people also had more PMS, and they keep telling me, my PMS is gone. So then when somebody presented with PMS, I said, I know you don't have anything autoimmune, but I wonder, how would you get on if we, if we boost your endorphins with the naltrexone? So it was working back from symptom relief that gradually expanded the, the cohort that seemed to respond well. So 
it's one of these things where you get a bit creative uh, with your medical treatment that you just don't go with well it is licensed for alcoholics and drug addicts um, uh, so therefore we only give it to those and you you treat the person with negative symptoms in front of you and see can you get symptomatic relief mm-hmm. and you've got a lovely display of babies on your background how many babies would you say that you've helped bring into the world um, so I often say, well, I, I was like their coach and because um, uh, what we do is a restorative approach. Uh, so we do refer to uh, excellent surgeons who would find surgical factors and we engage in a process of what I call assessment and cycle balancing. And um, and then we get the couple to treat themselves uh, with, with the medications we prescribe and uh, and where their coach telling them how to do it, but they they actually get themselves pregnant because they take the medications and and then it's through uh, natural conception. But we're around the four thousand mark at this stage, which is um, twenty twenty odd years later. So it's um, yeah. And without the naltrexone, um, I do think we'd really uh, struggle quite a bit more. And. Our ambition is to get one at a time, so we keep our twin incidence of twins below the the two percent mark, um, and uh, our goal is to go full term, uh, normal baby weight and healthy mom and healthy baby. But the naltrexone is is a very big part of that to restore the woman's health to normal, where she can say, "Now I'm feeling normal, uh, back to myself," and we go, "That's a good sign that hopefully fertility will follow." Mm-hmm. What could a patient say to their doctor who says you've got to stop LDN while you're pregnant? What could the patient say to persuade their doctor to be comfortable with carrying on? So, Because until we get much bigger numbers, we can't be definitive and absolute and say that this is definitely proven to be safe. So that's the context of it. But... Um, my clinical experience would be that you listen to what your body tells you and if you find that you had horrible symptoms before you started the low-dose naltrexone and these negative symptoms are now controlled, well, the concern is if you discontinue the naltrexone, these negative symptoms return and that won't be helpful or beneficial for either mom or baby. And the challenge is, well, in controlling these symptoms throughout the pregnancy, are we jeopardizing um, either mom or baby? And our clinical experience is we get less preeclampsia, we get less low birth weight, we get full term, normal weight, healthy mom, healthy baby. So from the data that we've got so far from our clinical experience, it's very encouraging. But you'd have to put that little caveat to say the absolute definitive evidence isn't there, but with fewer miscarriages, there are a significant number of babies here today who wouldn't be there only for giving the naltrexone during pregnancy. And you always weigh in balance between risk versus benefit, but be straight about the lack of evidence that we have and say, well, we don't have all the evidence we would definitively like to have. Uh, but insofar as we can tell at this point, it seems to be a good idea and a reasonable strategy so that uh, you're you're optimizing the health of the mum so that the pregnancy should go better. Um, so it's frustrating on one level that uh, with uh, all the years of experience of using it, the data may actually be there uh, in our patient files, but we have to extract it and analyze it and publish it. Um, uh, but uh, we're probably pretty close to having enough numbers at this stage, um, but we have to prove it. And until it's published and proven, then officially it doesn't exist.
Mm-hmm. Well, what can I say? That's amazing, Phil. Thank you so much. Do you think one day, I mean, 4,000 patients over nearly 20 years, taking all that data out of your files, compiling it before you even think of submitting a paper, how long would that take? Yeah, um, I, I, I don't know, but I think the, the better way to go maybe, and especially now with more, they're getting more stringent with, uh, with clinical trials. We're, we're looking at doing a clinical trial on low-dose naltrexone to treat premenstrual syndrome and premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and we're very close to finally getting ethical approval for the study. But the amount of difficulty we've had uh, just for getting a, a simple study approved is, is staggering. Uh, so we are looking at trying to get retrospective data analysis of patients we've already treated. Um, and you would think we should get ethical approval, but it's one thing getting a study design and getting ethical approval. And then uh, the other thing is trawling through all of the data and getting more objective data uh, that'll hopefully make a convincing case. Um, uh, so I think it can be done, um, but it, it, it I, I don't have it on my list of things at the moment. I'm trying to get the study on, on premenstrual syndrome first to show the effectiveness of that. And I think if we got multiple clinics involved and multiple people using it um, where they have informed consent, that they recognize the potential benefits, but also the limitations of what we understand. And if we get prospective data collection, it's a stronger study design. Because the difficulty is retrospective analysis of data uh, would be a low level of evidence. And a lot of researchers will say, but that's not a very high level uh, evidence. So we still don't believe it, even if we do that data analysis. Um, so maybe to design a cohort of a prospective um, multi-centered uh, data analysis and get multiple centers involved would be the way to go. I do have a colleague in Poland who uses as much or more naltrexone than I do, and maybe to have a multi-center um, data analysis uh, prospectively is, is the way to go into the future. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Phil, and I look forward to interviewing you again. Thank you, Linda. Much appreciated. This show is sponsored by our members who made donations. We'd like to give them a very big thank you. We have to cover the monthly costs of the radio station's software, bandwidth, phone lines and phone calls to be able to continue with the radio show. And thank you for listening. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.